special council meeting to see if you've been naughty or rice. This week, a date has been set for a special council meeting where, as one councillor will have you believe, the largest witch burning since the Red Scare will occur. Plus, other fictions like council endorsing density. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speak Municipally, episode 95. We're a day late because I went on vacation, but I'm allowed to do that. If council can go on a month-long break, then I can go on an extra day break. So get off my back, guys. <laughs> totally. On to the rapid fire. The chief medical officer of health is asking Albertans without symptoms to please delay testing to allow the province's 90,000 teachers to get tested before September 1st. Dr. Dina Hinshaw was quick to criticize Premier Jason Kenney for not doing enough, saying, quote, When Kenney fired 20,000 educational assistants in March, we reduced our back-to-school testing load. But these halfway measures cannot continue to stand. We cannot become complacent with COVID-19 and must commit to firing more teachers as well. Otherwise, we just won't have enough capacity to test everyone. In order to measure the effectiveness of our school reopening Petri experiment, we need to know the baseline of infection before classes reopen. End quote. A decades-old tunnel was discovered in Stony Plain during some ongoing construction work. The tunnel, which was assessed as man-made, leads from the foundation of a former bank building to at least across the street. The prevailing theory is that a bank robbery occurred and was successful and then subsequently covered up. We reached out to some former residents of Stony Plain, but none were willing to reopen the trauma of having lived there. And we were certainly not willing to subject ourselves to undue entry just for this story. But yes, certainly the tunnel must have been from someone trying to go into Stony Plain, not out. This is the news story you've all been waiting for. The Edmonton Oilers will draw for $14.3 million next week in the issue-plagued 50-50 contest. While the draw broke records, so too did it break the contest host's website with fans complaining of lockouts and double charges. According to the host, the list was manually audited several times and over $880,000 in refunds were issued. Ascend Fundraising Solutions, the company that ran the draw, has said they're getting much better at refunding through this whole ordeal and plan to formalize their processes and apply them more broadly. Said the CEO, quote, We know Oilers fans often want refunds, and we're working on a tech solution for the next season that will allow us to refund fans for all the time they wasted cheering for a dud team. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Episode 77 looks at four projects funded by the ECF's Anti-Racism Fund that aims to help make Edmonton a more equitable community. Subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com or wherever you find your podcasts. So, Mac, um, I had a week, I think. Yeah. I mean, before you went on vacation, you were the one making the news. And of course, you're no stranger to getting on the news. Our listeners will remember most recently the dog election, for instance. Not just a dog election, the <laughs> off-leash park election. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you were in the news again this week. What did you do? You went and broke the internet, I hear. As one was wont to do, I was making some memes earlier last week, and I went to Photoshop the uh, exemption card that the city of Edmonton had, and Mm -hmm. I thought, 
this is a lot of work, like removing the white text and actually making it fit so that I could add my own text. It was quite a bit of work. And I'm like, someone has got to have made a generator for this. And lo and behold, no one had. It's actually quite an easy process to build the generator. So I took my lunch break. I whipped out a quick exemption card generator and promptly everyone made some. Yeah. So you're a coder. You're able to do this. So it sounds easy for you. Not so easy for everyone else. But once they got the generator, people went nuts. They created all kinds of cards. Granted, like with anything that the public is able to create, there was a pretty quick floor that we hit of a lot of very bad cards were flooding <laughs> on the internet. But likewise, a ton of really funny and good cards. It was about three hours in when CTV called me and they said, hey, digital producer here, we'd like to do a quick story of it. Yeah. Once he had me on the phone, he's like, wait, didn't we talk to you pretty recently about <laughs> some cat election? As I was on the phone with uh, CTV, I got the cease and desist letter from the city of Edmonton. Right. So I saw this and was immediately quite worried. I mean, obviously you did this <laughs> uh, of your own volition, but uh, I feel I would feel bad for you if you had a huge legal bill because of this pretty awesome meme generator you built. So what happened with the cease and desist? You Surely you ceased and desisted. Uh, yeah, that is <laughs> seems like something that I would do, comply with a city's right, request. Right. No, so I, what the cease and desist letter, such as it was said, on behalf of the city of Edmonton in my role as branch manager, I request that you immediately remove this from public access, given it uses city mark. And I also request that you delete your tweet that points to this webpage. Uh, to which I realized they have no legal authority whatsoever to ask me to do this. So given that I knew I was relatively in the clear, I decided to mess around and sarcastically replied to the email and then drew a little red MS Paint X over the city of Edmonton logo. I didn't have to do that, but I thought it was funnier to be more obnoxious with compliance. Malicious compliance is something that I'm really into. <laughs> and then I saw a bunch more cards created with a little red X in there. Whenever a card was created with a red X, people were like, why is there a red X there? And it drew more and more traffic to the tweet where I am sarcastically responding to the cease and desist. The good old Streisand effect. Very Streisandy. So uh, what happened after that? Did you hear from the city again? I have heard complete radio silence from the city. And I have to assume that at some point there was some high level meeting at the city of Edmonton where essentially the city said, hey, guys, don't feed the trolls. Exactly. There was never going to be any other outcome than this. And someone at the city we know we have a lot of listeners within the city organization. Someone at the city probably should have thought, hey, should I really send this email? And the answer, obviously, was no. As I said to you the other day, like, you know, city people just doing their job. But yeah, I think you take a step back, you look at the bigger picture, and it's pretty quick to realize that people are going to get off of this and on to the next thing fairly quickly. And you'll do a lot less damage if you don't draw more attention to it. Um, before we move off of the cards, do you have a favorite that somebody created? Is there one that caught your eye? There were a couple that I really, really liked, but I think my favorite was one that just went so far off the beaten path. And it was just, hello, my name is Anil Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> There's only so many ways you can rehash bylaws of, oh, I'm allowed to speed or I'm going to park yeah. in a bike lane. Yeah. They're funny, but once you read 40 or 50 of them in a day, it gets trite. But that one, it just 
came out of the blue and still makes me laugh. Oh, that's great. Well, uh, nice job, as everyone said to you online. I uh, think that you know, making fun of them for these cards was entirely appropriate. And uh, it seems a lot of other people agreed with that. I think the most interesting part about this entire experience is if you go and read the CTV online story about this, the CTV producer, he really went in depth about my thoughts about exemption cards. And despite me having no outwardly visible qualifications to talk about exemption card policy, he really asked me exactly what I thought I should do. And I took that opportunity and opined about how we should have a better exemption process with proper vetting and that this was worse for communication than not doing anything at all. And CTV just published all my stuff verbatim. Didn't even go to a counselor or a city administration <laughs> staffer for a quote. Just gave me a platform to spew my stuff from the heavens. So, Hey, you're a man on the internet. That's qualification enough in 2020, isn't it? When it benefits me, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, to defend you a moment, you had very thoughtful things to say about mask exemption cards because I know that you take COVID-19 very seriously. We're still re recording remotely. We are. Um, and in a city that has, I think, if I'm not mistaken here, basically all the COVID cases in Canada. <laughs> well, maybe not quite all, but well over half of all active cases in the province of Alberta are now in Edmonton. And it seems like things are going up, not down. And that's worrying as we are about to get back to school here in a couple of weeks. We even had this week Edmonton ICU doctor, Dr. Darren Marklin, say that basically they are full to the brim, uh, not entirely due to COVID-19, but, you know, largely due to COVID-19. So I saw that the entire city of Edmonton was added as a, quote, watch uh, list for COVID-19. Uh, and I got a lot of questions about what does that actually mean? Do you have any idea the practical implications of that? I have none. I'm hoping you found something out because that means nothing to me, actually. Which is, I think, the correct answer. I okay. searched and tried to figure out exactly what material effect this had. And as far as I can tell, it's if we were theoretically as a province moving to stage three, then the watch communities might not get all the privileges. But there doesn't seem to be any sort of inbuilt regression mechanism. It doesn't mean that, you know, we get to a certain watch threshold and everyone has to quarantine again or anything like that. As far as I can tell, it's just a more serious talking to that we get from Dr. Dina Henshaw. Well, and if you look through her remarks and the two news releases from the last two updates, they don't mention this watch thing at all. All of it feels very mundane and by rote by this point. We used to have, like you said, Dr. Dina Hinshaw TV and everyone would tune in to learn about the COVID cases of the day. I feel like COVID fatigue has set in pretty solidly in terms of just the, what does this mean? A lot of people are tuned in and are taking it very seriously, the amount of cases, but the specifics of exactly what we mean or where we are especially with us returning to school apparently unimpeded in a couple of weeks. I don't know. It feels like the collective consciousness has sort of tuned out the specific consequences of our caseload. And it's also a bit of a commentary on Dr. Dean Hinshaw, I think, because she was this revered figure early on in the pandemic, the, the one person that we could trust. And everyone was so grateful for her her guidance and her calm demeanor and her 
you know, leadership in the early days of the pandemic. And and she's still all of those things, of course, but it's just the substance of what she's saying feels like it has been polluted by the politics of the province. We have seen a pretty significant fall from grace for Dr. Hinshaw. And I think most of it comes down to we used to be in a state of emergency in the province. And when we're in a state of emergency, the chief medical officer has a lot of authority to just implement policy and set direction and basically leads the province. Right. We saw the same thing with the city of Edmonton. We had a lot of leadership from city administration. We had emergency bike lanes, quote unquote, get thrown up and quickly implemented. But now that the states of emergency have ended in both the province and in the city, we're going back to more talking points. There's not these bold strokes of action. There's not these technocratic leaders that have worked hard for their merit. It's back to the politics of the day. At the end of the day, Dr. Hinshaw, she reports to Mm -hmm. Jason Kenney and the UCP. So she is part of the political machine now. And that has been a bit of a bait and switch for a lot of Albertans, I'd find. Definitely. We're going to stop talking about the province a little bit. Uh, However, they partnered with the city to um, do something that flies a bit in the face of our episode a couple weeks ago about the city plan. Right. This week, City Council approved a new neighborhood uh, in the Heritage Valley servicing area. So it's known as Heritage Valley Neighborhood 14. It's in the southwest. It's near the neighborhoods of Rutherford, uh, Graydon Hall, Hayes Ridge, Paisley, Chappelle, if you know that area. It's south of the Henday uh, kind of just south of Ellerslie Road, actually, and west of Gateway Boulevard, kind of between there and 156th Street, like right smack dab in the middle. Um, it's a new neighborhood. It will eventually be home to about 3,900 people. It's on 127 hectares of land that, as you say, is owned by the province. And apparently the two, the city and the province, have partnered to ensure that a future LRT extension will go there because the province is planning to build a hospital and health campus there at some point in the future. When I read this news release, there were basically two parts that hit me. The first one was, oh my God, why are we building another new neighborhood outside of the Henday? Didn't we just talk about this a couple of weeks ago and aren't we approving the city plan basically right now? Right. And then the other part of me reads on about what you just said, about the LRT extension, about a hospital and health campus. And all of that seems very good, but it also seems very futuresque. Site work for the hospital isn't expected to begin until at least 2021, with the hospital not opening until probably 2030. LRT extension, just given on the rate at which we're approving and building future LRT now, and who knows what future elections will hold, I wouldn't hold my breath for a capital line LRT extension down into South Edmonton in the next couple decades. Right. So a lot of this felt like an announcement of, hey, we're increasing sprawl, but don't worry, don't worry. We've got these other things that will make it seem better and more palatable, but I don't know that we're ever really going to materially deliver, at least in the foreseeable future, any of those tempering parts. Right. No, I think that's a good point. And speaking of sprawl and the city plan, this is exactly what Councillor Paquette brought up. He and Councillor Knack voted against the new neighborhood. And Councillor Paquette tweeted, my feeling is that the people of Edmonton take the long-term costs of sprawl seriously. I do too. And he said he was looking forward to the city plan to help guide future direction coming up in, in just less than a month here to kind of set some new rules for this. 
kind of feels like they squeaked this one in under the radar. Although I believe I heard some counselors saying that building more houses outside of the Hande would actually reduce sprawl. Very interesting. So Councillor Tim Cartmel was the other person who kind of spoke up to the media about this after the approval. And he told CBC that he basically thought that approving this neighborhood could curb sprawl because he said had the space remained dormant for too much longer, you know, the growth of the city would have moved around it and further south, which would only add to Edmonton's urban sprawl. So he's kind of saying, well, we build this neighborhood here. That gives us room to grow. We don't have to keep building more further south of there, which I'm not sure that makes a ton of sense. Although he's not wrong that some of the neighborhoods around there have actually are further developed than than this new neighborhood. When I heard that tweet, it reminded me of that Twitter meme that you see go around, you know, food, $200, rent, $800, candles, $3,600, utilities, $150. Someone who is good at the economy, please help me budget this. My family is dying. (laughs) Yeah. Sure, you're right. If we are sprawling, it does make sense to sprawl closer to our borders (laughs) than further away. Right. But we we don't have a requirement to sprawl. That's not a given. Um, which was the point that I think Cartmel was lacking there. Like we didn't have to approve this neighborhood at all, is what you're saying. The only other thing I wanted to mention was when I was looking at the map, it it sort of caught my eye that at least half of the neighborhood, it looks like, I mean, there's some natural areas that are going to be preserved, but half of it is business employment and a school slash park site, which sounds good, right? Business and employment, especially when it's surrounded by neighborhoods that are mostly residential. Um, but then to hear that it's actually probably more likely to be the hospital and the healthcare center, which is provincial, which means we won't actually generate any tax revenue from it. It kind of made it seem like, okay, did we actually, like you said, do we actually have to approve anything here then? We're not going to benefit from this. We know neighborhoods cost us money in the long run as it is. And I suppose we'll find more information about the mechanics of the hospital and any land use agreements uh, as this develops, which normally when I say that means in a couple months. If the podcast is still around in 2030, we'll find out more about it then. (laughs) No doubt. Speaking of looking to the future, uh, just today, we're recording this one on Friday, again, just a little bit late. And I think probably a good thing this week because at Around 11 today, some pretty big news dropped about a special city council meeting that has been scheduled uh, just a couple weeks away at 1.30 to discuss the integrity commissioner's findings. That's right. On September 2nd, a sanction hearing will take place for Councillor Mike Nickel. So some constituents complained about social media posts that he had made through April and May. And the Integrity Commissioner, Jamie Pytel, conducted an investigation about these posts. Uh, Here's kind of the key quote from her, her report. She said, quote, I have found the manner of the communication at times was disrespectful, lacked decorum, contained personal attacks and misleading information, end quote. And the report goes into detail about each of the specific instances, talks about uh, Councillor Nichols' response to those or non-response in some cases, um, the fact that he didn't apologize and admitted no wrong. And her recommendation basically is that Council, number one, accept the report, number two, issue a letter of reprimand to Councillor Nichol, and she also advised them to consider implementing a social media policy. Now, they could do other things. They could kick him off committees. They could find him. They could do all kinds of things when they come back to discuss this. And I'm sure we will discuss whether or not we think they're going to do that. When this news broke, uh, we were on Slack and I sent you a Slack message about it. You were reading and you asked me the question, 
do you want to tweet this or should I? And in the moment I said, you can tweet it. I don't even know what I want to say about this. And eventually what I landed on was the following tweet. People who follow Edmonton City Council will know the news that's coming. I've read it. So please just do me a favor and focus on the people that have been leading the discussion, like Don Iveson, Andrew Knack, and Aaron Paquette. When a toddler throws a tantrum for attention, you don't give it to them. And I was very deliberate not to mention Mike Nichols' name. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is. What we're seeing right now is essentially the best case scenario for Mike Nichol. He wanted a finding of code of conduct violation to do precisely what he has done next, which is call it... One of the greatest attacks on democracy in Edmonton's history is underway. That's what he said. A little bit of a drama queen statement, I would say. A little bit. Yeah. And if you actually listen to his, did you watch his video? I tried, uh, <laughs> got through parts of it. I had to hit the mute button a few times when I got like viscerally uncomfortable with how cringy it got. That is what City Hall is trying to do to me right now. They are trying to censor my voice of opposition, which I make daily on my personally owned accounts. The video will feel very familiar to you if you've been following Donald Trump at all over the last four years. Let's put it that way. And at the end of the day, this is what Mike Nickel is doing. This is the wedge that he is trying to create. And it's working. If you read the Facebook comments on... I'm sorry. Did I, I did just tell people <laughs> to read Facebook comments. And I apologize for doing that, dear listener. But I have done the horrible thing and read some Facebook comments on news articles and most of them are, we stand with Mike. Yeah, you show Don uh, not to censor you. And things like, oh, one person speaks up and this is what happens. It's important to remember exactly what happens. And I think Aaron Paquette's tweet said it best. He said, quote, they might get a letter expressing disappointment. That's it. And really, that's all that's going to happen if that. I cannot see counsel materially censuring Mike Nickel in any way because that's what Mike Nickel wants. That just makes him the story and that gives him martyr status. Right. It's interesting because it is a lose-lose situation for city council here. If they don't perform any sanctions or any uh, rehabilitative might be the right word action, then they're saying this is kosher. They're giving tacit approval for counselors to behave this way and violate the code of conduct. And they're saying the code of conduct doesn't have meaning. But if they do perform sanctions, then they get Mike Nichols saying this is the greatest attack on Edmonton democracy. And he gets a wedge issue and he gets to be the underdog that is trying to be silenced. And they, they can't win in this situation, which is very, very unfortunate. And I don't envy their position. No, I think you're right. And, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the complaints did not come from counselors, right? It didn't come from Andrew Knack, who is the victim of many of Nichols' tweets. It didn't come from the mayor. It came from citizens who reported these tweets. So today, when Councillor Nickel is alleging that his colleagues are trying to censor him, that's more misleading and false statements, right? If one looks back... This is a very well orchestrated and very deliberately planned series of events. We knew how absurd it was when Mike Nickel put Andrew Knack's Photoshop face onto the little image of the cartoon character throwing taxpayer dollars into a garbage can. Right. We knew that it was a level of absurd that we weren't prepared exactly to deal with. It came so far out of left field. And that's by design. Mike Nickel wasn't doing something that could be dismissed as, oh, 
it's just a right wing politician being a little bit edgy. He went so far over the line as to not have any doubt whether he violated the council code of conduct because he wanted this to happen. And that's what we're dealing with here. We have a set of policies and just like in the United States, how in the United States they have the constitution, which has a lot of rules that aren't rules. They're traditions, they're accepted practice, but they aren't formally written down or laws. And when Donald Trump violates them, there's not really any recourse. In the same way, our council code of conduct and our council disciplinary strategy, it's designed based on good faith actors right. participating in the system. And it has a huge exploitative hole for bad faith actors pretending that they're good faith actors. And that's exactly what Mike Nichols is doing. So if you're Don Iveson, you are weighing your options for 2021. You're seeing very clearly that Councillor Nickel is going to run. He told CBC he's not running again as a candidate and wouldn't deny he's running for mayor, but also wouldn't confirm it. If you're, if you're Don, how do you approach this? Do you try not to feed the trolls? And as you say, end up with making it look like the code of conduct has no teeth? Or do you go hard on this and belittle Mike Nickel essentially and show what an absurd position he has and, and really make him seem as unviable a candidate as he actually is. I think there's two options here. One is to do essentially nothing, but frame it as what Don Iveson has done in the past. We're not going to debate on this level. The level of debate at which Mike Nickel is participating, it is just beneath us. We're going to let him play in his corner and we're not going to talk to him. He's going to have a bit of a timeout. So the whole Obama, when you when they go low, will you go high? Yeah, I think that's one option. The other option, and it requires unanimity on council, and I think council might have it. Other than John D. from Ward 3, who has signed this joint photo radar petition with Mike Nickel, you saw even Tony Katarina sick of John D.'s antics. Yeah. I think Tony Katarina is equally as sick of Mike Nickel being a buffoon on social media. Right. That's not something that Tony Katarina seems to think is appropriate. So if you can get people like Tony Katarina, the really hard to agree with fringes of council, all aligned on just belittling Mike Nickel. Everyone in debate in this uh, sanction motion, making Mike feel small and just make it clear that on council that there's just unanimous disgust with his behavior. I think that's another option and it relies on the media really carrying that airwave and not going to Mike Nichol for comment, but just showing the overwhelming displeasure. That's a one's a bit of a risk because it can elevate Mike Nichol in a fight. Definitely. So I doubt we're going to see that, but it might be the more effective choice. Right. Well, we won't have to wait long to find out. Uh, Councillor Knack said he'll comment on this on Monday. And then, as we said, September 2nd is when the special city council meeting will be held to discuss the report and any potential sanctions. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll cover this, but... Like I said before, I don't I don't want to cover this. This has been the train fire that we've seen rolling into the stop where Mike Nickel has continually ramped up his antics. And I had said three or four months ago, this is what the next year and a half is going to be like. Mm -hmm. And it has been made very clear that we are going a low in the mud campaign and it started four months ago, and it will not stop until October 2021. 
So on that cheery note. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where are we going to go from there? I guess you can only go up. Or right into an ad. This week, we're thrilled to tell you about fellow uh, Alberta Podcast Network member Creative Block. It's a podcast by Kyle Marshall that it features artists and entrepreneurs discussing their creativity in work and life. And here's a clip for you. Hello. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Kyle, and I'm the host of Creative Block. It's a podcast where I talk with artists and creative entrepreneurs. So if you're curious to understand the minds of theater producers, local actors, podcasters, or even a guy who created a company making houses out of old shipping containers, then you should come and subscribe to Creative Block, a podcast that comes out twice a month. That's not a threat. It's just a promise. Available anywhere you download podcasts. So I think it's fitting with that ad that we're actually recording this on World Entrepreneur Day. And there was a bit of Innovate Edmonton updates that uh, I think we should talk about quickly. Yeah, just very quickly, Council back in mid-July endorsed uh, Nassim Bashir as the board chair for this new innovation entity that we've talked about on the show before. And now they've followed through and named the other seven board members. Um, there's some heavy hitters on there. It's an impressive looking group. And their first job or their their next you know big job is to hire the CEO and the job posting for that position just went out this week. Um, I think we had talked on the show before that Cheryl Watson, who used to run Innovate Edmonton, was potentially a good candidate for that job. And she confirmed this week that she's not going to submit an application and said, quote, my team and I left behind a great legacy for a new leader to leverage, end quote. Do we have any sense? Has anyone sifted to the top as a potential nominee? Has anyone stepped up and indicated such? Not publicly that I've seen. Been pretty quiet on that front. And it was actually pretty quiet on the board member front as well. It was kind of a all of a sudden uh, on an afternoon, city council or the city put out the, the news release and I hadn't seen much discussion about it until then. So, uh, no, it's been fairly quiet. I'm not sure that I could tell you who I think might be a front runner right now. Well, that's another thing that we'll keep track of in the upcoming weeks. But that's all we have time for today. And until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.